Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast where we bring you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Craig Carroll. He is the co-founder and chief evangelist over at Smart CSM. Thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure having you. I know you got a lot of things going on. Uh, life's busy, so I appreciate you taking the time of the day to, to be on here with me today. And uh, first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and introduce yourself? It's a great opportunity, and, and thank you for taking the time to interview me. So uh, I'm honored to be uh, part of your podcast. Uh, my name's Craig Carroll. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, this is my fifth or sixth company. Mm-hmm. A couple of big colossal failures, a couple of good successes, and I think this is the one that's going to hit it out of the park. I really believe we're in the right place at the right time. Uh, Smart CSM is uh, in the blue-collar tech space, or real tech, real real estate tech, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Uh, I like blue-collar tech because I think it really resonates uh, uh-huh. in the space that we're working in. And essentially what we've created is uh, almost like the Google Maps of uh, MEP or mechanical electrical plumbing. So okay. we look at large commercial properties and how do we create a visual tool that any uh, subcontractor, field tech can go in there and instantly in a snap understand the entire infrastructure, Very where cool. the mechanical rooms are, where the VAVs are for the air handling units, where the breaker panels, where's the generator, what does it feed? Right. These, uh, th- these large commercial properties, 100,000 square foot, million square feet, 10 million square feet, they're incredibly complicated beasts. Uh-huh. And usually there's one or two or three or four really key employees that understand it all and it lives in here. And that's the uh-huh. scary part. So that's the disruptor in smart CSM is, is we take that, that institutional knowledge, that tribal knowledge, and we created a visual tool where you could know nothing about the building and walk in and have a very good understanding of the mechanics. Very cool. And I mean, like you said, like, you know, buildings and electrical systems and things like that, they're super complex things that I don't think like the, you know, the, the regular individual um, that isn't necessarily involved with any of that knows how any of this works. Um, So we'll try to keep it as, I guess, you know, simple as possible, I guess. And it, like, even myself, right? Like, I don't know how these things work. Um, but I think it's, it's very cool that you're able to essentially provide such a simple solution to the end worker that is going to be, you know, in the weeds doing everything that they need to do in these, in these projects, essentially. So how did you go, or I guess, what's the background that led you to, to create this, this uh, product? So if you look at my background, it's, it's counterintuitive that I would do a, be doing a SaaS project in the, um, in the facility management space. Uh, it's, it's mostly counterintuitive because I have no physical skill to handle power tools. Uh-huh. Like in my house, my wife changes all the light bulbs. For Christmas two years ago, I bought her a brand new tool set with like every drill. So my friend just built the house and I offered to come help him. He told me, don't come. Don't come because you'll wreck something because you're yeah. terrible with power tools. But what I am is an opportunist and I can make, I can run the numbers very quickly and I have a very yeah. good understanding um, of how businesses work and where the opportunity is. So mm-hmm. a, a, an electrical contractor brought me this idea about four and a half years ago. Okay. And I, I looked at it like I look at any, any business that I am going to go potentially into and I, I spend months studying it and I try to talk myself out of it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I try every idea possible and imaginable to convince myself that it's a terrible idea that it'll fail or even that it's an okay idea. Cause if it's not a home run, it's so hard to get these projects off the ground that if it's not a home run, then it's not worth doing most of the time mm-hmm. in my opinion, unless it's a passion project, uh, which this was not for me, but I saw a gigantic opportunity and my first good.
money, given the amount of, uh, of expenditure going on and the amount of capital involved in caring for a business like this, it seems like a physical impossibility that this doesn't exist. So I talked to about 100 facility managers, building engineers, field techs, and I found out there was an opportunity. There was a space that was not occupied uh, in, in a crowded space of software, but there was a clear space in creating this, this like we call it BIM for dummies. So BIM is building information modeling. It's, it's basically how buildings are built using 3D rendering or CAD. Very expensive process. So we dumbed that down and we created BIM for dummies, something, a program that anybody can learn in an hour. Uh, mm -hmm. I taught my 10-year-old kid how to basically set up our house and he's like, hey, <laughs> When are we going to put this socket in? When are we going to put that breaker panel? In? Right, so that easy. Very cool. That's awesome because and 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 that's one thing, right? Like a lot of people want to like, or the reason why they don't go into something is because they realize that okay, like maybe I don't know enough of whatever it is that I'm trying to do to actually do it. And you kind of proven that not to be the case because essentially you don't necessarily understand a lot of the things that go on within the actual you know, product itself, like what it's trying to solve, but you still went for it because you knew that there was that, that gap um, that wasn't being filled by somebody else that essentially would have more knowledge than you, um, but they didn't decide to do it. So that's pretty cool. This is what I knew about SaaS and this is what I knew about facility. <laughs> the last project I did was, uh, I did a medical product and then before that, I launched a, a big uh, toy product for Hasbro. Uh, a robotic pet uh, project for Hasbro, and both have been wildly successful, but I knew nothing about those spaces either. I just studied them. And so when I approached this space, I did the same thing. I just really, I talked to people, listen to them, and then you have to do good hiring. Like people are not gonna give you money if you know nothing about SaaS. Right. But if you have a good idea, and I, I put about a half a million dollars of friends and family together, and I built out that idea in a prototype, um, or an MVP, a minimum viable product, and then I hired a SaaS expert, and that's Danny, who uh, basically came in initially as COO and about a month ago transitioned to CEO. Very cool. Now, when, when you know, like most of these streamlined SaaS companies, essentially like more of the B2C, even though they're still B2B, they price their, their software on a monthly subscription or you can get a yearly subscription. How did you figure out the best way possible to price smart CSM? So uh, my suggestion is you price, 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 price until you get pushback. Until you get pushback, you, you, there's lateral movement. So we started out at a very low price because we had no idea what the value was, right? right. What's our real value proposition? In other words, what are we saving you? Well, our value proposition is we're saving you time, money, and lives or keeping your people safer. So, you know, it's always, it's very difficult to... Um, to uh, get a clear metric on, on money you're saving somebody unless you can look at a power bill and look at a reduction, right? How do you say we reduced accidents because right. you don't know how many accidents would have happened? So it's always one of the challenges. So we priced it very low in the beginning. People didn't believe it, it seemed too cheap. Uh, and it was overcomplicated. We charged one to have the software and then we charged per, per item that you wanted to put in. It got way too complicated. So it's, it's a process of trial and error. Because nobody had done software exactly like we had done it, we couldn't look at five other models. Right. You couldn't like, which is really what you want to do. You want to look at how those other guys did it and how they screwed it up and then you know avoid <laughs> that learning curve. We had to go through the learning curve, uh -huh. uh, which took months and months. And look, I, I would say we're still not 100% on you know pricing. We're pretty close. We're probably 90%, but mm -hmm. we're starting to offer more full services. We're sending teams into the field. Uh, to provide actual physical data onboarding for people because we found out 
there's a, a, a segment of clients, 40 to 45% of them, who are like, you know what, I love the software, I got no time to put it in. You know, you, I'll pay you two and a half times the rate to come in and put the data in. Okay, so now we're a services company, we have a services division. Now we're starting to do some engineering services, um, like what they call ArcFlash or IR scans, which is thermal images looking for heat sources because it's a great time to get all the data in. So we look at services that we can bring to the table that allow us to easily get the data in at the same time. So sometimes putting pieces together in a puzzle mm -hmm. makes the whole picture work a little better. Definitely. Now to talk a little bit more about marketing from a very, very B2B standpoint, what does that look like for you? Like what are some of the activities that are currently taking place as far as you know just making sure that the company gets out there? How do you make sure that people know that it exists? Because like you said, even though there was a gap, that doesn't mean that people necessarily know about what it is that they're looking for. So how are people finding you or how are you going to people that could use a solution? So this is the $99,000 question right here is how do you reach extremely busy, busy, busy people in the, in the B2B marketplace? So our typical client is a facility manager or a building engineer, sometimes a building owner, but primarily the facility managers are the gatekeepers. These people are getting about 100 phone calls a day from people like us. They want to talk to three of them, maybe four of them, but they don't want to talk to the other 97 of them that are trying to sell them janitorial services paper products, security services. So it's always very difficult to, to kind of burst through that bubble. Um, we're very old school. Uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, just picking up the phone and calling people. On average, we'll call people 15, 20 times before we make contact sometimes. It'll take two or three meetings because they'll cancel because they'll get really busy or an emergency will happen. So it's a lot of kind of pounding, ground and pound as we say. It's also things like LinkedIn. It's looking where people spend time. Totally. Um, we tried things like contests on Facebook, like where we did send in your worst breaker panel and the winner gets a Milwaukee, you know, drill set. You know, we, we, we just didn't get a good conversion. So um, podcasts, we're starting to do uh, webinars, things like that. Uh, we send out a weekly email cadence. We have about 150, 200,000 people on our marketing list okay. that are on a weekly basis, you know, getting some sort of suggested tip from us so you know people are so barraged by advertisements these days i think there's something like seventy thousand images and thoughts that come it's a huge through. number i used to know it but i don't even remember. i don't remember it anymore i think it grows i think it grows every day you know every day they google and and everybody figures out different ways to influence you you know now oh. it's a restaurant table and it's on the menu yeah. and it's like i can't get away from it mm -hmm. So it's, it's constantly trying to get through that clutter. It's trade shows. It's a lot of personal relationships. It's, you know, event var, uh, what we call VARs, value-added resellers or channel partners, mm -hmm. electrical contractors that recommend us to their clients. It, it, nothing's really changed in sales. It's all about the warm lead. How do I get somebody uh, who will endorse me? I got to have a happy customer. And how do I get five or 10 leads from them? And hopefully one of them turns into it and, you know, it grows that, that way. Totally. So there's not one answer. It's, it's, you know, to get the SQLs, the sales qualified leads, the MQLs, the, the, the marketing qualified leads, it's incredibly complicated. And we have a very smart guy that that's all he does all day long is tinker. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Uh, what is the one thing that, or, or essentially what, like, how are you guys leveraging, you know, I guess data from customers to do anything else with it? So it's funny you should bring this up because ultimately we see ourselves as a big data play. Although most customers do not, that's not our forward facing um, position. Our forward facing position is, hey, we're a, 
we're a visual database to help you understand your mechanical infrastructure and we're here to you know to to make your life easier and to right. to make it so everybody has access to, to, to almost to democratize that information but ultimately if you want to know why the why the venture capitalists and the investors see us as not a hundred million dollar company but a billion dollar company it's because of the big data play mm-hmm. because you know when you can look at thousands of customers and you can look at their air handling units or their HVAC units or uh, you know their generators or their transformers and you can start to aggregate that data even if you're anonymous even if you're anonymizing that data that's incredibly powerful whether that's lead gen that you could sell to people or um, preventative maintenance that you can offer your customers as an additional uh, uh, added value or uh, you know uh, companies like ideal industries the circuit tracing company is is one of our uh, uh, one of our partners that we're working with to help them develop products based on what we're seeing in the marketplace. It's all about the data at the end. Yeah. Of the day. So yeah. why don't you pick up on that? Cause most people don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's important to know, right? Because it's, I mean, we're living in a world where, where essentially like data is currency and, and essentially like that's the one thing that people want to be getting from you and I, and pretty much everyone else is just give me a little bit of that information and I can do a lot of different things with it. Um, so I think I think people understand that um, to an extent at least. There's but, an interesting trend in facilities right now. So everybody talks about IoT or in the building world, BIoT, building Internet of Things. Okay. So you know people talk about oh you know in the next five years we're going to be measuring everything you know the amount of light source in this room the the amount of times that door opens and closes and and look there's some truth to that. The reality is that over the next five years, we'll probably have three to five percent of these devices installed. It's just, it's just not moving as fast as right. uh, as the Ray Kurz. These 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 measuring devices, meters, monitors, whatever they are, but they they just monitor this one little sliver of information: how much airflow is coming out of a vent. Uh, how much power is being used on a certain circuit, but there's not a total picture. So if you don't have that whole picture together, the data is really not that useful to you. It's, right. it's useful in a small way. So we're trying to create that whole digital ecosystem, almost like a digital bridge from paper analog to the digital future, mm-hmm. and eventually tying into the building Internet of Things or BIOT. Very cool. Now to talk a little bit more about the product and and kind of like some obviously like some of the issues that come with it, right? When selling the product what are some of the biggest objections that you get and how do you handle those so i would say almost a hundred percent of the people that we share the product with say wow this is revolutionary i love it i want it but how long does it take to get the information in right how difficult will it be (laughs) for me to because it's not really useful just as a standalone software it's useful once the data is into it so that's what that's to what i was thinking right is it's not only getting the information in, but it's also getting your employees or the contractors to start using them, to get them trained on it. So there's gotta be some pushback with, as far as, you know, it's totally worth it, but it's also gonna take a lot of time to, to get it implemented essentially. So the second part is not really the big pushback, right? Cause there's ways to, first of all, you can make your employers do it. You can say either do it or, you know, get the F out. <laughs> uh, you can make your subcontractors do it. You can make it as part of a deliverable, right? Your, your closeout package, your closeout package is like, okay, the job's done. You did this construction project, the closeout package is okay. Here's all your manuals. So part of your closeout package, you can put in the contract. You have to deliver the closeout package digitally through smart CSM. Mm-hmm. So that's not really the challenge. 
The biggest challenge is how do we get the data in initially? Now, that's not really a challenge in new construction because during the closeout package, it's easy to do and it's all accurate. But if you've got a building that's 30, 40 years old, it could take a long time to get that data in. So we we're in the process of building um, a tool called Live Plans. And Live Plans is, is basically a data aggregator that uses machine learning and AI to read plans. So we're working on a tool and we'll have, we, we're, it's working right now, it's just not ready for, to go live, it won't go live till early next year, where we can read the plans and we can instantly take all the icons off those plans and make those in part of smart CSM. Uh -huh. So that will skip like two thirds of the process of, of, of uh, importing data right now. So it's gonna take, like to bring a breaker panel in right now might take us an hour and a half, but with live plans, it might take us 30 minutes. So we think it's gonna cut down that process by about two thirds and really revolutionize our ability to, uh, to uh, serve clients. To sell that, totally. What is the most challenging thing about running a SaaS company? Um, you know, I think it's always the balance between venture capitalists and investors and, and the marketplace. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when you're on the whiteboard, right, the whiteboard is everybody's friend. Oh, you know, month yeah. two, we'll do this. And month 11, we'll do this. And then we go to series A. And this partner is going to come and that partner is mm -hmm. going to come. And look, it, it all makes a lot of sense when you're building out your plan. Having been through a number of these projects, I have yet to see a plan work on plan. I've yet to see a company that, you know, hits all its numbers. Every once in a while, you got the compacts of the world that just go crazy. But mm -hmm. more than this, more, it's usually like this, you know. And, right. You know, you got to not get discouraged during those times. You're always going to have... You're always going to have channel partners that don't work out. People that are like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then they don't do anything, mm -hmm. right? So you have to be able to deal with those disappointments and those challenges, and you have to pivot, and really, you just got to stay positive. You got to believe in what yeah. you're doing, because if you don't believe in what you're doing, um, then the team's not going to believe you. And look, Sorry. there's times that I get up in the morning, and I just like, uh, like, what am I going to do? But I come in with a smile on my face, and I was like, come on, guys, let's charge into the fire. Yeah. Everybody grab my hand. You know, you got to you got to create enthusiasm and you got to do that with the customer, too. You got to yeah. say, well, we're going to change your life. You know, we have a slide on our one of our presentation decks that shows the facility manager with a tan, you know, and like sunglasses and sitting with a mirror. So we're trying to put that image in his or her head that, look, you get uh, our software. It's it's easy time. You're on easy street. Is that guy going to get a tan? No, he's not going to get a tan. He's just going to get more work. But we're trying to like, we're selling them on the vision, Lewis. Totally, totally. I like it. Um, now to, to kind of pivot into a little bit more of a, you know, personal kind of questions. Uh, first of all, what is your biggest accomplishment with Smart CSM? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I always think it's a miracle that companies get off the ground. You know, if you look at the rate of failure, yeah. just the fact that we're And big clients, like we have Goodyear, we have United Airlines, we have Delta Airlines, we have Carrier Corp, Children's Hospital, Orange County, like really blue chip companies, which is yeah. very unusual. You know, usually you get the sort of the mom and pops, you get the early adopters, the mm -hmm. technology sort of forward thinking folks. And, and we have some of that, but we also have some traditional, very staid conservative companies that are like, wow. You're solving a problem. So we're going to try this in this plant. And if that goes well, we're going to put it in 100 plants across America. I would say to me, that's probably the most exciting uh, uh, aspect of it is the rate of adoption. Like, mm -hmm. I wish 
I wish we had more companies. I wish they were paying a higher ACV. But I think that you know, when you see the Goodyears and United Airlines and Delta Airlines, these are gigantic names. You know, right. Orange County is one of the top hospitals in the United States. That's, that's a gigantic seal of approval that, you know, we like this. We're going to help you make it better. And we're going to help you expand to other, uh, other organizations. And we're going to, you know, we're going to advocate for you. That, that's, that's the big cat on the back you can get. Right. It gives you that, that sense of accomplishment, definitely. And especially when you have like big, like you said, established companies, uh, it definitely speaks for itself, I think. It's, it's, like, it's like, I don't know if you have kids, but like you have a baby, right? And you're like, one day it starts to walk. You're like, oh my God, he walked. <laughs> you know, and then he talked and he ate. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's a miracle. Like I only have one child, but uh, a company is very much the same way. Like it was an idea that this guy brought me. And then, you know, we sat in, in total obscurity for a year and a half, you know, working in a crappy office on the second floor above a hair salon, you know, smelling like nail polish all day long, getting high on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, four years later, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, you know, big 25,000 uh, average contract value per client. We're doing two, three year deals with people. Uh, awesome. I just got back from UCLA. I was doing a big pitch with UCLA and they're like, look, we like this. We might do a proof of concept with you. It's like, you don't get any bigger than a UCLA. That's really, really cool. Uh, what are, or what is just one, your favorite SaaS company, um, you know, that you kind of look up to and it doesn't have to be like a huge unicorn thing like that. Just something that you, you've noticed that they're doing good and you kind of, you know, not studying them necessarily, but you like look at what it is that you're doing in case you can almost, you know, repeat something. I have to think about that. I don't, you know, there's a lot of great SaaS tools out there that I use these days. Um, I don't know. I'd like to come back to that one and think about that one if that's okay. You know. Yeah. And uh, second to last question, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is um, The Professor and the Madman. Okay. So it's a, well, this is my favorite recent book. It's a book about the creation of the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay. And so there was no dictionaries until about the early 1700s and a, a professor in England set about to create a, um, a dictionary, a formal dictionary. And so he asked people to donate words. And so people would donate 100 words and 50 words with their, their description. And then one guy um, contributed 26,000 words over like a 30 year period. Mm -hmm. The professor, who ultimately died before it was made and his son took over, would constantly invite this person because he lived like an hour away, you know. He'd say, oh, you must come and we'd love to meet you. And he would respectfully uh, decline. And then one day it was done after 25 or 30 years. And so he's like, well, since you won't come to us, we're going to deliver it to you. And it turns out he was locked up in an insane asylum. And he had been, he was the madman. And he had been locked in an insane asylum for 30 years. He was a very well-educated American doctor who in the Civil War, I think, had, uh, had murdered somebody in England and uh -huh. family put him up there and he had a giant library and he was just a brilliant guy. So I love, I love the professor and the madman. Mm -hmm. I love Blue Ocean Strategy too, which I think is a great business book. Mm -hmm. I read a ton of business books and, and, you know, just kind of love that whole world. You know, there's, there's so much information available to entrepreneurs now, you know, between the talks and, it's, it's like, you don't need to go to college. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying you can go to college, but uh, there's just so much good information out there. Yeah. It's the time to drill down. It's, it's incredible what's out there. And, I mean, I almost agree with that to an extent, too, about college. You know, I, there's a lot of different things that you can study without it. Um, and you can get information from a lot of people that are 
very well qualified that don't necessarily have to be professors or anything like that that understand what it is that you're looking for etc so um to answer your question about SaaS, you know there's so many there's so many products that i use that are sassy kind of cut off there for a sec adobe you know this is years ago but when, when they first went to that model i was really surprised and a friend of mine worked there and was describing it to me and you know i really give them a lot of credit for kind of kicking off this space i'm no expert in, in, the, in the history of it but it, it's one mm -hmm. of the first companies that i became really conscious of that was doing this model and like they hit it out of the park like yeah. wow you know like everybody used to i used to own a tv production companies that was a business that i owned for a long time and we all stole Adobe software. Nobody was paying for it. You know, somebody would buy it and then we'd all use it. And, and <laughs> Adobe beat us. They beat us down. You know, they beat us yeah. out of the game. And they did a great job. They created a great online tool. And, in, you know, because of obviously broadband, a lot of other things that changed, um, they made a tool that was far better and it was far more versatile than the old school of using hard drives and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and having to download the software and just transmit huge files. Now, you know, we're doing everything on their cloud. It's great. So. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of a weenie answer, but it's 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 one of the things that sort of I looked at it and I was like, that's smart. I want to learn about this space because this seems like the future. Yeah, 100%. And uh, last question. Do you have any questions for me? Well, what, what inspired you to run this podcast? Because I'm fascinated about that. It's really, and that's a question that I get often, but it's really just trying to learn from people, right? And, and a lot of the times, you know, I, I would sit and think like how... First of all, how do I get in touch with people that are doing big things, people that are running their company successfully, um, et cetera. And eventually myself, I want to start a software company. And I, I thought, you know, like what better way to go directly to the people that are doing so and learn how it is that they're doing that, what challenges they're facing with, what has been working for them best. And so I decided I'm going to start a podcast, interview, you know, top SaaS CEOs and listen to what it is that they have to say. So, I, you know, what, one of the things I love about people like you is you get to really sample all these different food groups, you know, all these SaaS food groups. And so I got to, uh, you know, think that you're sort of developing an idea. Is there a space that you really like or, or where do you see the next kind of launching pad or where do you see your launching pad in the SaaS space? I, I personally, I love, I love anything that has to do with psychology and also marketing. I, I love consumer behavior and things like that. So... I've been thinking about building a company that is obviously a software company, but something in the marketing space, uh, some sort of MarTech technology. I'm not entirely sure what it is yet. I'm thinking um, probably in the space of spyware technology um, to, to understand more of like, you know, advertisements and what ads people are running and something along those lines. Still very, very early, um, but that's, that's kind of like the thought behind it. You know, it's, it's funny because I'm, uh, I'm also a fan of psychology, probably because I'm so screwed up mentally. But, um, you know, one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, will AI be able to work as a psychologist in the future? You know, can you train, can a, can a machine be trained to help you work through emotional problems? Because emotional problems are highly complex. And yeah, I never thought about that question. When you can get down to, you know, your inner child or whatever it is, you know, just to use sort of a, a standard jargon, but. Right. You know, like, like, like peeling back the onion layers, you know, is there, will machine learning and AI be able to, to ultimately help guide you on that journey through yeah. the, you know, the different uh, dark, dark passageways in your brain to really get to what the problem is? Because sometimes, like, we have all this, uh, 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 you know, all this, like, noise in between, right. but really, there's, there's a simple solution, but it's, you got to get through the noise. So I'm, yeah. 
I'm always fascinated where computers will be, you know, will you be able, will I be able to save 200 bucks an hour? Do I got to keep spending that money? <laughs> no, I a hundred percent agree. And, and, you know, I obviously don't have an answer for that. Uh, we'll probably have to go ask Elon for that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think technology is going really cool places, especially with all like the kind of like brain stuff that AI obviously, and, and all that, that he's doing. Um, but it looks like it's, it's, I think we have a pretty interesting future ahead. So Maybe I guess the couch, like you buy the couch and you get the therapy with it. You know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's a good idea. <laughs> but, um, I think that's you about it. Lewis, you and me, let's go do it. Let's do it. I'm down. Bet. And, uh, I think that's about, that's about wraps it up. And, uh, again, Craig, I really appreciate you taking the time for this. It was fun. Uh, and, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for your time and, and please keep in touch and send me your personal email. So I have it. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Bye-bye.